Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season four, we're talking all about inspirational travel stories. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today, we are discussing a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is career breaks. So my guest is Rachel Levine of Tripping Millennial, and she and her husband just returned from their own adult gap year, which we get into in depth in the episode. And it's really cool because she and I see eye to eye on a lot of topics and we both see the value and importance of stepping back from that career, regaining your own identity, exploring the world, etc. So I won't spoil it too much, but let me introduce you to Rachel. She's 30 years old and living in Austin, Texas, inspired by a love of travel and desire to see more of the world while she's still relatively young and child free. She decided to embark on her own adult gap year. So in May of 2022, she took the bold step of resigning from her corporate career in finance to travel the world with her husband. They visited 33 countries, and now she's on a mission to help people travel cheaper, smarter, more authentically, and more often, as well as helping them along with their own gap year. So here is the episode. Before we dive in, this season's episodes will come to you uninterrupted and ad-free. I know that you'll be inspired by the stories you hear this season, and if you need help taking the leap yourself, I encourage you to check out the resources listed in the show notes or visit my website, www.travelshifters.com. Whether you are seeking a remote job, a career break, or pursuing a different travel possibility, there are resources and services for every budget, including free. If you have any questions, my DMs are always open at the travel shifters. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the travel possibilities podcast. I am here with another interview for you. So Rachel, thanks for coming on the podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks so much for having me. Uh, My name is Rachel Levine. I run some accounts under the name tripping millennial. So that's how a lot of people know me. And I just got back from an adult gap year traveling around the world with my husband after leaving my job in finance. I am based here in Austin, Texas. I live here with my husband, my dog. I studied here. I went to high school here. This is my home when I'm not traveling. Awesome. Okay. So first of all, I love that you called it an adult gap year. Is that your terminology for the duration or were you calling it different things during your break? I went through so many iterations of what to call this thing, right? So yeah, career break is probably the most apt term. Sabbatical, I think, is one that people are very familiar with as well. I toyed with the idea of calling it like a micro-retirement, all of these different things. The reason I landed on adult gap year is I feel like gap year is something that is so much more normalized in other parts of the world, right? Particularly the UK, Australia, as this kind of thing that's you go through this kind of coming of age experience right where 
right after high school, typically you spend some time to go out and travel the world. And it's usually associated kind of with like budget backpacking experiences. And while I didn't have that experience growing up in America, I always felt a little cheated out of having something like that, that was more or less normalized as part of the American career path. We just don't really have that. And so I followed the traditional path in that I you know, studied hard in high school to get into a decent college. I studied in college to get a degree that would support me in a career. And hopefully that career would make me enough money over my lifetime to where one day in the seemingly very distant future, I could retire and then do all that travel, right? That is like the American way. And I wish that we had a gap year in our culture. And I figured, you know what? I missed out on it the year that people typically do it in their early 20s or teens. Why not just take it now at the ripe age of 28, <laughs> a few years into my career? So it's a bit, you know, not as, as traditional. But my goal now after having done this and come back is to try and normalize this as much as possible and have Americans and particularly young Americans, maybe people who don't have kids yet, realize that this is a, a totally viable option that can allow you to fulfill those dreams of global travel if you have them without sacrificing too much out of your career or life path that you're otherwise striving towards. A hundred percent. You and I are on the same mission here. So very well said. And I love all of that. And there's really something to be said for doing it at an age when you're more mature and you know yourself better and you've had that work experience and you're actually taking a break. Was that your experience as well? 100%. I look, I, I mentioned lamenting not having my own gap year at the younger age, but I am so very grateful to have done it at 28. Again, for the reasons you said, my own personal maturity is a huge one. Certainly the focus was much less on partying <laughs> than it maybe otherwise would have been when I was younger, as well as having more financial independence to be able to have the kind of travel experiences. You know, we weren't necessarily living the five-star resort life every night, but I also didn't feel like I had to live in extremely low budget, like hostel life either. So for me, it was a really nice, healthy balance. And then I think on top of that, having the ability, and this is maybe something that's a bit more specific to my situation, but you know, when you're in a career, you start to get more, in my experience at least, singularly kind of like one track minded towards those skills that you're developing. And it starts to get more and more niche into that area of work that you've chosen. When you take time away from a career, before you're going too far down a path that you basically can't turn turn around from, it gives you the opportunity, I think, to have such deeper perspective about the type of life you want to live, the relationship that you will have with work and the rest of your life, and the type of lifestyle that you want to build that incorporates that work. So I think doing it at 28, again, rather than doing it in retirement or rather than doing it fresh out of high school is such a important time and kind of an interesting crossroads in your life where you do have enough perspective to take in that information well, but you're not so far down your life path that you feel like you, you can't make changes that are meaningful. Totally. I love that perspective. And it's so important because with the American mindset, a lot of times our career is our life, but your job is just part of your life. And sometimes you need to step away to have that full picture 
like you just described. So love it. Has travel always been part of your life or was this adult gap year sort of an initial opportunity to start exploring? So growing up, I always had a really intense curiosity about other places and and other cultures and other ways of life. But in terms of my actual travel experiences, I had very little. Um, I grew up in a very happy but very middle class kind of upbringing. So international jet setting was absolutely not part of, of my family life. We, for the most part, our vacations were just going a few miles down to the Florida coast. And those were wonderful, happy memories. And I really enjoyed it. But I did always have kind of that hunger for more. And as I got older and gained more independence and gained more you know, financial means to be able to support international travel, I was like off to the races. I, I wanted to take every opportunity in my 20s, for example, you know, as I was starting to finally make my own money, I did a little bit of travel with my work, which was really helpful because I got to build up, you know, things like points with different airlines and hotels, which obviously points are a huge part of making travel more affordable. And then I also was basically optimizing my PTO where I was like, okay, every single day that they give me, I'm going to use it to its maximum potential. I'm searching cheap flights. I'm, I'm, you know, hacking my way to all these different destinations. So yeah, it was basically as soon as the the kind of ties were off, I was all about traveling. And, and this gap year was just an extension of that interest. Makes total sense. And once you start doing the traveling, you realize how limited time is, especially when you have that full-time job. And for me anyway, I came to this stark realization. I'm like, there is not enough time. I'll never be able to see everything I want to see with this job. Did you have a similar realization? Totally true. I think for the the irony, and I hear a lot of other people who are, are very well-traveled, they'll say this too. And now that I've started to travel more, I see it. Whereas it's like, the more you go, the more you visit, the more you see, the world doesn't necessarily start to feel much smaller. It honestly kind of expands, or at least that was my experience where it's like, okay, I after I hit kind of like the big sites, like the Paris and the Rome's and whatnot, then you start to get to like the smaller towns around France and the smaller towns around Italy. And then you realize there's countries that never make it to your social feed that are absolutely incredible and worthy of going to. And so a huge realization, and I think a huge reason I'm an advocate for long-term travel in particular, so beyond those week-long trips that you might get with your PTO, is that it's less of a risk going to those lesser known destinations because it's not like your one week is all hinging on this one experience. You have, you know, seemingly endless time to kind of make make those experiences, or at least that's how it felt to me during my gap year. So to me, having the kind of freedom and, and space to take a side trip to Montenegro or go a bit more deeper into Japan's countryside, for example, to me, that's where like the magic of travel really lies. And you don't even really get a taste of that if you're just limiting yourself to a weekend here and a week-long trip there. Definitely. Yeah, the longer you go, the more you can experience, the more authentic your travels start to feel because it's more you're living the lifestyle as opposed to just visiting. A hundred percent. I know I keep saying that, but we are so on the same, same wavelength today. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I know. I feel it. I'm like, ah, I could have said that. <laughs> so, so you went on your gap year with your husband. 
whose idea was it? Or was it something you had been talking about for a long time? I think it, I don't know if he would disagree with me. I think it was definitely my idea. Um, I think I, he's incredibly supportive, I should say, and he loves travel just as much as me. So it's not like I had to do much convincing by any means to get him on board with this idea. But I had, you know, throughout our marriage, we've been married five years now. And, and of course, dated before that. We, I had always talked about this desire to have some kind of deeper travel or cultural experience. In the infancy of our relationship, I didn't really know what it would look like. I talked about maybe moving to one of my company's international offices, for example, and you know, living and working somewhere for a couple of years or so. That dream, for many reasons, I'm sure, kind of died out over time. And then it morphed into this other idea of just leaving my job entirely and going and traveling the world. And that those plans really solidified around uh, the pandemic era, when I think a lot of people's general plans in life kind of got a bit of uh, a reboot, and they had to start thinking about any changes they wanted to make to their own lifestyle. Um, we were we were not the only ones who did that. So that was when we made kind of the hard decision, him and I, that this was something we wanted to make happen in the near term, particularly before we have kids. Um, we know we want to have kids at some point. So obviously having kids and traveling with them and supporting them financially is like a whole different thing. So doing it while we were still relatively free and loose to do what we wanted to do um, was a huge priority. Makes total sense. And so you were working in finance. What is your husband's job function and industry? So he actually is a really unique one that I think plays really well to what we did. So he was a consultant fresh out of school. Um, so he, he, like I, we were traveling all the time for work, him even more so than me. And he ended up through that experience coming up with an idea for actually an invention of a hardware type of device that you can add to a laptop computer to make working on the go a bit more simplified and more productive. So he created this, what's called a tri-screen that basically gives you multiple monitors to the back of your laptop. For people who love like productivity hacks and you know having a lot of screens, people like me, I was so on board with this idea. So he, he actually launched that product uh, really during the thick of the pandemic. And now it is this um, you know, thriving business that he runs as an entrepreneur. And it was the reason I say that it was so well suited to our travels is that the whole ethos of this company is basically that you should be able to work well no matter where you are. So he basically lived out the brand by working on the road, all around the world, all these different time zones, which is pretty chaotic at times, but it worked out, it worked well. So he was lucky in that he got to continue working. In my case, I couldn't really effectively do my job in a fully remote type of fashion, mostly because my job entailed a lot of traveling to clients' uh, offices domestically. So it doesn't really make sense for me to try and fly to Chicago from Hong Kong, for example, every other week. I don't think my company would have paid for that. So I, I did have to quit, which was um, unfortunate, but was a blessing in other ways because I got to really tap into other skill sets and other sides of my creativity that I wouldn't have had space to do if I had still been working throughout the entire year. Yeah. Wow. This is really cool. 
So can you fill us in a little bit on like the timeline of everything? How far in advance did you start planning and saving? And at what point did you quit your job? At what point did your husband make his transition into working on the product? Yeah, so I'll try and do this more or less chronologically for okay. you to keep it <laughs> to keep it easy to follow. Um, so he pre-pandemic really is when he started on this business idea and launched the business. So he was already working in a fully remote, again, kind of create your own schedule because it's your own business fashion, starting at the end of 2019. And so, and that's still more or less his his setup today. Right around a few months after that, uh, at the kind of dawn of the pandemic, we decided to actually not re-sign our lease in Austin, which is where we were living, where we still live. And we decided to, because we could both work remotely now, we traveled all across the U.S. living a kind of semi-nomadic lifestyle, going to Airbnbs in Denver and Santa Barbara and Salt Lake City and San Francisco and kind of testing out these different amazing cities all across the US and, and going to national parks. The reason I bring that up is because that kind of gave us a taste of what it means to be on the road all the time and kind of understand what a nomadic lifestyle can look like. And so after we had that experience, that really solidified in both of our minds that we wanted to take that approach and apply it to the entire globe, not just a few states in the Western US. And so we decided then and there that we wanted to start meaningfully saving for this. Um, this is also not long after uh, we had just bought a house in Austin. So we had just drained our savings basically down to zero to buy that house. So we we're like, okay, we're starting from zero again. Let's start saving up. Let's be aggressive about it. Um, and so we each saved up a pretty meaningful chunk because again, we, we didn't know the, his, the startup that my husband had started, if it would even be existing six months down the road. So we we saved with the intention that both of us were going to not have a job during these travels. Thankfully, as it turns out, the business grew and he was able to continue to work and continue to have an income. But I bring that up just as a, a caveat that you never know what's going to happen. And maybe you do get to have an income while you travel. And if so, of course, financially, that makes things a lot more easy. So that was kind of our timeline uh, of starting to save. We had from that moment about two years from 2020 to 2022 to save meaningfully and to kind of get all of our lives in order, right? So we kind of did kind of mini garage sales, if you will, of cleaning out the house, the things that we didn't feel like we really needed. We decided to put our house on Airbnb and kind of got all the like permitting that we needed done and the setup needed done for that so that we didn't have to just be chunking thousands of dollars each month at a mortgage that we weren't getting any money back from or getting any you know value out of since we were gone. And then we built a plan for our travels themselves. It was a really loose plan. I'll say that. We basically had the first six weeks lined up for us. And then the rest of it was incredibly nebulous. It was like, we'll just see what happens when we get there. And that process tended to work out pretty well uh, in the end. So those are the details of kind of the genesis of how we started planning, but also happy to answer any more specifics around that as well. Perfect. I just want to point out one awesome thing. I would, I think a lot of people would be like, we just bought a house. We can't go travel the world, but you didn't <laughs> have that attitude. And I think that's so important to call out because you can't like you literally can as long as you believe it. These logistical things don't have to be hindrances if you don't want them to be. And 
Can you talk more about yes. the decision to put it on Airbnb and how you navigated that and figured that out? Yeah. So obviously, as I mentioned, affordability wise, we did not want to be spending you know, thousands of dollars on a mortgage, not being here. It would have made traveling a lot more difficult. So generally, if you own a house, you have two options. You can either do a long-term rental for basically the entire year, or you can do a short-term rental. And there's definitely pros and cons to both that we considered. Obviously, the pro of a long-term rental is it's a lot easier in terms of the amount of hours you need to dedicate to it. You know, once you find your renter and they sign that year-long contract, you're there to help in the need of any maintenance or things like that, but you're not really needed to be very hands-on in that relationship. Whereas Airbnb, of course, is very hands-on. You're marketing your property, you're reaching out to people, confirming dates, check-in, check-out, managing issues, all of these things. The other con, though, of long-term rental is, is that we would have to have moved out all of our stuff into a storage facility, most likely, unless we sold it furnished, I suppose. And then we would also not be able to come home at our own whim. So let's say we're you know six months into our travel year and we had realized that this just wasn't for us. Well, if we had decided to come home then and we had a long-term renter, we would have had to wait six more months before we could get back in our own house. So we just wanted that convenience of being able to block dates on Airbnb and say, okay, you know, for Christmas time, for example, we're going to come home and spend it with family. We want to be able to be in our house for that and things like that. So we did Airbnb. It ended up being also a massively helpful financial decision because my goal was to just make up some of our mortgage. That, that was my financial goal of this, maybe 75, 80%. We ended up turning a fairly nice profit which was massively helpful, of course, on relieving or alleviating, I should say, any financial strain that we could feel from, again, me not working for this entire year. So yeah, would always, always happy to be a uh, someone to discuss Airbnb things with. There's certainly downsides to Airbnb. We had a few moments of like people partying and stuff like that, which is a little bit stressful, especially when it's your baby, it's your house. But I'm in the house right now. It's safe and sound. We're okay. So it, it was a success overall. Ooh. Yeah, that's really <laughs> cool. You were able to earn money from it, which is even more than you had anticipated, which is so cool. So it can be a blessing, not a hindrance. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I, I'm, I feel like a lot of us have seen, or at least I see a lot of people on social media talking about, you know, here's all my different income streams. <laughs> and, you know, to me, as someone who worked a W2 job my entire career and had no side hustles and, and didn't really understand that part of the world, it was really interesting to dip my toes into that area and see, oh, okay, now I see how the people that, that, that make this more uh, of a side hustle or their main hustle, I get I get how that side of the business works, at least to a small degree. And I think that was a valuable experience. I also learned a, a tiny bit about what it means to run something that is at least adjacent to the hospitality business, which is miles away from, from finance and investing, which was, again, my, bre my bread and butter. Totally. So cool. Okay. And so when you were on your practice nomadic travels, we can call it in the United States, what did you learn? And did any surprises pop up that you just weren't expecting? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to condense a year's worth of experiences, not to mention a year's worth of every single day being a new experience, right? Like there's so much novelty that you're just being constantly confronted with whenever you're traveling, which is part of the reason why I love it so much. I love 
getting to engage with that novelty and new lifestyles and new food all the time. Um, that said, I think there certainly were a lot of surprises and, and there's things I learned about myself, for example, um, and how I travel. I consider myself a huge extrovert. I get energy from these new places, as I've alluded to. But when you're traveling all the time, it does become pretty clear pretty quickly that you do have to give yourself some breaks. You cannot travel for months at a time the same way that you travel for a few days at a time. And I learned that the hard way. I got sick a few times just from going a little too hard, really lost track of my workout routine that used to be pretty lock solid <laughs> for, uh, for most of my, my adulthood. Uh, any dieting was 100% out the window. I mean, I was eating what I wanted. I was drinking what I wanted, which again is fantastic, but not very sustainable. So those are some kind of like less fun things that I learned. Um, a huge piece of learning that I think any traveler also experiences is just how similar we are wherever you are in the world. We all are so much more similar than we are different. We were able to connect with people that did not speak the same language as us. We were in rural Vietnam talking over Google Translate with cow farmers. We were, you know, chatting with people in Istanbul, uh, rug dealers who had been working on vintage rug restoration their entire careers and learning all about that trade and just people that come from such different walks of life and being, being able to connect with them. Those are always the most memorable, surprising, engaging experiences. You can look at beautiful scenery all day long, and I am happy to do that. But the moments that stick out in my mind undoubtedly have people in them. And I think that's just, again, such a special thing that I'm, I'm now forever changed by because of it. Definitely. I totally agree. Again. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned a few places, but where did you end up going on your adult gap year? We, if you can believe it, ended up going to 33 countries, which is a wild number. And it's a slightly misleading number, I will say, because that does include some day trip countries like Monaco or Vatican City, for example. Some of those countries were longer term stays. So we spent, uh, for example, almost two months in Italy. We spent a little over a month in London, spent a month in Thailand, a month in Vietnam. So those were places where I think we got to kind of build a routine, feel like we were really part of the culture. Whereas whenever we were in other places for like a weekend at a time, it was certainly more hitting the sites, right? And, and you know, kind of getting a good feel for it and then understanding, okay, this is where I want to come back in the future and get to know a bit more deeply. Um, all of these countries were spread mostly across Europe, the Middle East and Asia. So we didn't even get to touch the continents of Africa and South America, Australia. So those are next on my to-do list for sure and would love to see them someday. Um, all in all, again, an incredible experience and, and something that, you know, it, as I mentioned before, it only increased my hunger to go out and see things rather than make me feel like I've kind of seen it all at this point. And so now that you're back in the U.S., what's one thing you would do exactly the same? And what's one thing you would do differently if you were to embark on this trip again? That is a fantastic question that I haven't even put too much thought to. I think Kind of the beauty of, of travel and, and of life in general is that the mistakes, while they can be mistakes, 
mistakes oftentimes lead to the most interesting learnings, the most interesting stories. Like, like one very hyper-specific example is um, whenever we applied for our Vietnam visas, we did so around the Lunar New Year. And so that meant that instead of getting our visas back in two or three days, like the website states, we didn't get our visas back until we were literally boarding our flight and they were not going to let us on the flight. Long story short, I had to like PayPal some random number on WhatsApp, a few hundred dollars oh for God. me to get a visa. So that was kind of, you know, chaotic, but it was a funny story. And like, it's a very memorable one. So there's certainly things like that, that along the way that I would do differently, but I don't necessarily regret them when it comes to logistics. One thing I would do the exact same is, I mean, there's so many things I would do the exact same. I think the places we went, there's not a single place that I felt like wasn't worth seeing or wasn't worth going to. I will say there are some places that we maybe should have gone to at a different time of year. July in particular is such a tricky time in Europe, especially around beach destinations, because they just get so throttled with crowds. I've already seen crazy videos just from this summer already, and it just changes your experience entirely. So places like um, Dubrovnik, for example, which are beautiful, beautiful historic places, we went during the middle of July and it was, I would not recommend going then is all I would say. <laughs> so again, timing differences, logistics differences. And then one thing that I'm not sure I would change, but would be one thing I would bear in mind. And it kind of harkens back to some of the things I mentioned about, you know, just endurance and having good balance around your life and not going too hard, too fast is that we tried to squeeze in a lot. 33 countries, even if some of those are day trips, is still a lot. And sometimes it was really hard to not let FOMO overtake us. You know, we'd be for, we'd be in Budapest and I'd say, oh, well, Bratislava is right there. Like, we have to go to Slovakia. We have to mark it off. Or we were in Copenhagen. I was like, well, Sweden is just right across the water. Why can't we go to Sweden too? And while I don't regret those actions, it is adding a lot more strain to travel to try and fit so much in in a short period of time. So extending some stays to really get to know places on a deeper level might be something that um, I would consider if I did this, you know, another time, which spoiler alert, I would love to do this every few years of my life if I can make it happen. So <laughs> things to keep in mind. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's really important to point out because I'm seeing it more and more online, the whole travel burnout thing. It's something I've experienced. And it sounds like you were starting to a little bit as well. And it really does come from trying to pack too much in when in reality, like, you can kind of just enjoy where you are, slow down, it's okay. You're never going to see everything. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like resist the impulse. Yeah. I get I understand the impulse. So very right. Anyone who likes traveling enjoys it gets like you, you're like, I'm right there. I'm right there. But sometimes less is more often less is more in the travel sense because you can't fully enjoy it if you're just like exhausted all the time from doing too much. Yes, not to mention, and this is kind of an aside, but not to mention the the pressure, or at least I I always feel so much pressure to have like the best possible authentic experience wherever I go. And if you're only somewhere for one day, the amount of pressure you're putting on yourself to have like the number one meal, like the number one, like neighborhoods that you explore, it's, 
if you don't get it right, you feel like a failure almost. And it's like, it's one day you can't put that much on you to be able to see it. Right. Yeah. That's such a good point. And like, we all need to kind of just chill a little bit. It's okay. However you travel is okay. And it doesn't need to be this like picture perfect thing because it's your life. It's your experiences. And however it turns out is how it was meant to turn out. Absolutely true. Cool. So do any like fun or funny or memorable travel stories come to mind that you would like to share? Oh my goodness. There's a few that stand out. One that was really fun. We happened to be traveling at the same time that two close friends of ours were getting married in Mallorca, Spain. And that is something I will never forget because it was my first, well, really my first European wedding, my first Spanish wedding in particular. And of course, the Spanish people love to party, love to have a good time. And we were told in advance, the the bride grew up on the island of Mallorca. So this was her home. She was like, just be prepared because these weddings, they don't end until sunrise. And so all of these Americans who were here, because all of our friends came in as well. It was like, okay, like we're used to weddings ending by maybe midnight at the latest. (laughs) Like, let's do it. And so, you know, partying till the literal sunrise in Spain was just again, it's such a stunner, stunner experience to have. Um, a few other things that stand out to me, one that was particularly wild was we took a motorbike trip from Hanoi in the north of Vietnam to Ho Chi Minh City in the south, which was all in all about 3,000 kilometers, which is an, it's basically like going across half of the U.S. On a, on a motorbike. And so that, for me, I had never done any kind of trip like this in my life. So that was crazy enough as it was to be in a foreign country, to be mostly around only rural Vietnam villagers for most of that time was such a wild experience. And also just a word of warning, driving in Vietnam. I don't know if you've experienced it, but oh my God, it is not for the faint of heart. To be clear, I was not driving. I was on the back. Thank God, because I might not be here today if I was driving. (laughs) So a memorable, a cool, a crazy, but not for the faint of heart experience was definitely that motorbike trip. (laughs) That's super adventurous and cool. And like, I love traveling by motorbike, but oh my gosh, if you haven't been to Vietnam, like even crossing the street is scary. So I can't imagine driving it's like one of those situations where you literally have to cover your eyes and just keep going and trust that the drivers are going to stop for you as a pedestrian so (laughs) if you're not used to that as a driver oh my god so amazing I'm so glad you had the experience and you're here to tell us about it (laughs) right cool and so you mentioned your husband was working during your adult gap year so how did you navigate that when you weren't working and he had work to do and what did your days sort of look like Yeah. So it was an interesting thing. That was like the number one question when we started our travels was like, okay, what are you going to do all the time? And that was a question I had to answer for myself. And so I obviously didn't want to sit idly by while my husband was working one, because I think I would feel a little bit guilty for that. This was also mind you, the only time in my life since I was maybe, I guess, 16 at my lifeguarding jobs that I didn't have some kind of job. So it was a really strange experience for me to not have something that I had to fill my time with. Now I had to come up with this on my own. And so I really threw myself into content creation. 
that was a whole new world to me. Video production, for example, creating travel guides, writing. These were all little pieces of me that I think I had interest in in my childhood and in my adolescence. But I had pretty much just squashed that as I got into my real big girl job and, and kind of entered corporate world. So it was really fun to kind of like bring life back to that and work on that simultaneously as my husband was working on his business. I also was maintaining our Airbnb. So that was short periods of intense work and then a lot of periods of, of pretty lax work. So, you know, on days where people were checking in or checking out, I was usually kind of an anxious mess because it's hard to manage <laughs> a property when you're halfway across the world. Thankfully, my sister who lives in Austin was able to be my boots on the ground. So she was massively helpful to pick up in the areas where I couldn't physically be there. Um, shout out to Anna. She wanted to shout it on this podcast. So thank she you, got Anna. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Anna. So yeah, that was kind of our, our more or less our schedule. We worked US hours. So that was an interesting pivot. And more or less, it was easy to do in Europe because the way that our schedules worked out is we basically had a morning to explore. We would eat lunch. And then as soon as lunch was over, the workday begun. Usually we would try and find some kind of co-working space. We actually got a WeWork global membership. So if we were in a city that had that, that was always great. And then we would work most of the afternoon, right around the lunch break hour in the US was a good time to take a dinner break hour in Europe. So when people ask about kind of time change issues there, I think it's actually very reasonable and almost preferable in a lot of ways to work that way. Because I'm a morning person. I love having my mornings to kind of get to know a city and, and walk around the streets before it gets too hot or before people wake up. So I really enjoyed that. Asia was a little bit more challenging. <laughs> As you can imagine, we our, our schedule in Asia was more or less, we would um, have dinner. We would start working around eight or so, depending on which country we were in, and work all the way through the night until the very wee hours of the morning. So think like four, five, six, seven a.m., and then just as we could hear the birds start to chirp in the mornings is when we would be laying our head down on the pillow and drawing our blackout shades and putting on our, our eye masks and um, waking up in the early afternoon and then doing it all over again. So we got into a routine, but that one was definitely a little bit more jarring for, again, people who have never worked night shifts. It just wasn't something we were very used to. Yeah. Wow. But it's possible. You guys did it. But it's possible. And, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you realize your limitations are are much lesser than you might think. Like I think a lot of people think it's impossible and I don't want to sugarcoat anything. Like you have to be determined to make this type of schedule work and and kind of have that general type of attitude, but it's just really not as hard as you might think. I mean, I always say look to I have a lot of friends and family members that have been in the nursing field. And a lot of cases, especially early in your nursing career, you're working about usually about three or so long shifts through the night. And I'm like, if they can do it, we can do it. Like, what's what's the difference inherent in us? There isn't one. Like, we, we absolutely can make this work. So we did. And I definitely would not let that be something that would put someone off from going to Asia. That's such a good point. Yeah, not necessarily ideal, but totally still possible. So yeah, and you know what? Asian Asian breakfasts aren't my favorite anyway, so I didn't feel too bad about <laughs> missing those. Fair enough. 
Do you have any advice for traveling long-term as a couple? Oh yeah. Well, for us, the pandemic was a really great testing ground. I think it was a great testing ground for a lot of relationships because in most couples, you're probably used to leaving every day and coming home together. And that is a very natural way for a relationship to have set boundaries of when you are apart and when you are together. During the pandemic, in many households, you were together 100% of the time. And I think a lot of people, us included, kind of understood through that experience how to navigate that closeness that we weren't used to and that proximity. Um, and so that taught us how to give each other space when needed. Now, I am grateful in that, you know, not to be gushy and whatever, but like my husband is my best friend. We enjoy each other's company immensely. And so I think I maybe have a higher tolerance for <laughs> my my partner's presence than maybe everybody does. And that's okay. Um, but there were times where it was like, I I need to feel independent again. I think that is what was more important to me is I had this independent life I had a career where I would travel and I would eat alone and I would be alone. And that was totally comfortable to me. And then to feel kind of almost codependent in this experience, because we were always together was a somewhat um, disorienting experience for someone who identifies as like a very independent person. So taking time for me to just go walk around a city and explore it and eat by myself and do that on my own every once in a while, I think was incredibly healthy for both of us. And would suggest people building in that time. I know other couples that will go spend entire weekends by themselves during long-term travel. Uh, we never tried that out, but I honestly, I think that's a great idea. Like just to, not just to help your relationship, but more so just to help you as an individual and as a person kind of get back in touch with who you are alone um, and what you enjoy. I love that. And that's so true. Like whether you're, it's a romantic partner or you're traveling with friends or family or whatever, yeah. like it's okay to step away and separate yourself and have that independent time and explore on your own. So great point. So now that you're back in the U.S., what is next for you? That is an excellent question that I wish I had a more defined answer that's to. That's okay. I'm like, it's the worst yeah. question to ask someone who's just traveled for a long time. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, I think, um, Perhaps if there's any, I don't know if I would call this a downside um, because it is a, a valuable thing to grapple with, but I am definitely admittedly having a much more challenging time kind of identifying the roadmap for the rest of my life because this experience was so transformative and because it was so valuable to me, it's changed my mindset almost entirely on what it means to live well and what it means to incorporate travel and other cultures and experiences into your life. And so traditional jobs that I think aligned with my original skills and with my kind of achiever mindset that I have had from a young age, those jobs aren't typically flexible enough to incorporate a month long trip to Italy here and, you know, working remotely from Colombia there. Um, the, I think that's becoming more normalized and more common in these kind of high achieving fields, but it it takes work. And I think we've all seen the headlines where if anything, it feels like the tide is trending the other direction where more and more companies who were previously remote after the pandemic are now saying, okay, now you need to spend some time into, in the office. 
and I'm not shaming the office whatsoever, but I think the value of flexibility and the value of more extended travel beyond PTO and, and workations and all those things now have a much more important role in my life going forward. So what I'm grappling with now is trying to identify what that career path looks like, as well as to what degree does this newfound interest and, and frankly, business and content creation, how does that fit into that plan? Is it the entire plan? Do I go all in on, on tripping millennial and just continue to grow and build this? Or do I incorporate this as a side hustle, which I think is um, a somewhat more safe path to go down while still maintaining more of a corporate career? So that's probably a lot of rambling, but I think it's worthwhile to be transparent about it because um, the, the honest truth is that you might not come back from this experience and have a very clearly defined path. If anything, it might muddy the waters a bit further for you, but it's a good muddying because it's better to have this reflective time now than to get to age 55, 60, 70 and realize that you should have been reflecting back in your 20s. Totally. And I'm so happy we're having this conversation while you're in the midst of it, because so often <laughs> you see people being like, and this is what I did. And it was so successful. Like, you're in it. And we don't really get to see yep. that side a lot. So it's very real. And I mean, I get it 100%. And thank you for sharing that. And so if people want to see which path you end up taking, where can they find you online? Yeah, so I am on both TikTok and Instagram under the handle at Tripping Millennial. So I post very frequently on both of those platforms. And then I also maintain my own travel blog at www.trippingmillennial.com. And perhaps most importantly, I now have a weekly newsletter called The Travel Edit, which is basically me compiling my own recs, news from around the travel world, deals, tips, all those types of things into just one once weekly email. So that is where you can find me. Awesome. And it's all linked in the show notes. So everyone can just click easily. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. It was such a great conversation. Before we wrap up, do you have any last pieces of advice for someone who's maybe considering an adult gap year, but feels like it's not possible for them? My biggest piece of advice is that, yes, it is possible, even if it doesn't feel very practical. There are many practical steps that you can take, and I'm more than happy to be a resource and an advocate for you as you continue on that journey. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here. And everyone else, I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at The Travel Shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.